Welcome to episode 23 of Box Flap with me, Chance Stanton. We've got another fun show for you today. Got a new sponsor I think you're going to like. We're going to learn the secret history of Little Orphan Annie. And we might even play a little Think Off 3. That's all happening on Box Flap. Quick author update. Had a great time yesterday in Buffalo, Minnesota at the Buffalo Books and Coffee. I was doing an author signing outside in front of the store. It was ladies day out. There were a lot of people in town. Buffalo is a really charming place. I I grew up in Annandale just down the road and I really uh, liked that they've they've remained vibrant. Many downtowns struggle in this day and age, but uh, Buffalo is doing all right. So if you stopped by and said hi, thank you. I was So great to see people and and chat with people about the books and what they like to read. And if you were unable to stop by and see me, no worries, because you can find my books online at Amazon. Check it out. Grave of Songs is my latest novel set in Annandale, Minnesota in 1888. And The Blank Slate Boarding House for Creatives at 1922. World's greatest mind magician causing problems for many people. And Luano's Luckiest Day, my first novel. Luano's Luckiest Day. Very sweet, poignant, magical realism story about a boy in search of his mother. Those are all out on Amazon.com. But I've got some more great news. This week, I spent some time doing my first ever audio booklet. It's not a full book. It's a short story. But I did it in audio form, and I have uploaded it to the Amazon gods to see if it is going to meet their stringent requirements for audio quality. I'm hoping to have that accepted soonish. And uh, in addition to the great content that will be in my Halloween newsletter, sign up at johnstanton.com, I will let you know when that's available because it is funny. It's called Ouija Board. Here's a little teaser. Coming soon for the first time on audio. Did Leona have any actual reason to believe her 13th birthday was going to be boring? Uh, yeah, like 12 of them. Ouija Board by John Stanton. Short paranormal humor. Read by the author. Leona Locke's birthdays were more like all eight nights of Hanukkah shoved into a three-hour span covered in cake crumbs and disappointment. It's coming. Are you ready for a little fun? Let's play some Think Off 3. I signed quite a few books yesterday at the Buffalo Book Signing, and I wanted to keep it fresh, kind of keep each one unique and personalize it for that reader. It's not always easy when you're in the moment. You're having a chat and trying to think of something to write at the same time. I'm not always good at multitasking like that, but I gave it my best shot. So I wanted to try to pick your brain in today's Think Off 3 challenge. Imagine that you're at an author event, an author you enjoy reading, and you've bought a book and you're having it signed. You go home, you open it up to read what the author has written. Think of three things that that author could write above their little autograph 
that would shock you, amuse you, blow your mind, something interesting. What would be three interesting things you might find inside your new book? I'd like to hear your ideas, so email them to me at chance underscore s at yahoo.com and uh, maybe I will make something special out of it, like today's new sponsor. Remember the prompt from last episode's Think Off 3 Challenge, games you would not let your children play? Well, we had a response from Anne in Kentucky, which inspired this episode's sponsor. From the makers of Tub Darts comes Pin the Tail on Grandpa. Gee, Grandpa's retirement party sure is boring. I know how we can liven it up. Let's let the air out of Grandpa. Let's pin a tail on Grandpa today. Let's pin a tail in his rear. Grandma says Grandpa is moving quite slow. I know a pin would put him in gear. Children, young and old, love to play pin the tail on Grandpa. <laughs> Look at Grandpa run. Oh, for cripes sakes, just let me alone. You've never seen him move so fast. Ha 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 ha, this is fun. Ouch. Now Grandpa Nate's got a bunny tail. Each pin the tail on Grandpa kit comes with a zebra tail, a tiger tail, a bunny rabbit tail, and a classic B-52 bomber tail that even Grandpa will love. Ouch. Oh, I used to fly one of them. Pin the tail on Grandpa. A good time is had by all. Except for me. Pin the tail on Grandpa is available wherever dangerous things are sold. Well, I reached into the box today for the author read and quickly withdrew my hand because something else was in there and it had pretty sharp teeth. But then after a little wrestling and beating with a stick, I finally got back in the box and, and found this little gem from about five years ago, written for a friend named Aaron. Aaron, hope you're listening. This is a mashup of Little Orphan Annie and Mac the Knife. It's called the three-penny orphan. Now with more mariachi kidnappers. Who really is little orphan Annie? Where did she come from? What brought her to her desperate state of orphanism? These are the questions haunting the cast of the new smash hit, Three-penny orphan. A big-time 11-year-older in the 11-year-old scene takes a tumble into the dark side of New York when she meets the handsome McKeith, Mac the Knife, on loan from Newgate Prison in London. He's as attracted to her family's vast wealth as she is attracted to his brooding eyes, pouting lips, and chiseled strength. In the opening scene, our little red-headed heroine, Annie Mayfax, belts out the following ditty from the marble atrium of her parents' Manhattan palace. Oh golly gee, I don't want to be an orphan. Oh no siree, I can't happily say yes to a life without mom and dad and happiness. The crowd applauds as she tries to bow, but her big 11-year-old bobblehead sends her off kilter and she nearly tips over. But if she were to fall over, she would land in a big pile of caviar because her family is so rich. What could go wrong for this 11-year-old and up-and-comer who laughed at destitution, who scorned the working class, 
and spurned the affections of the less wealthy, the less polite, the less than eleven. McHeath, that's who. Yes, McHeath, better known to the musically inclined and the fae as Mac the Knife. McHeath has eluded capture from cops and thugs alike. During his brief stay in the big city of New York, he has hidden himself in the nearest mansion on Park Avenue. After singing the I Walk a Crooked Path song, he is forced to disguise himself as a piñata during a big 11-year-old birthday to-do. For the less culturally inclined, a piñata is a candy-filled effigy of a harmless animal or a political opponent, traditionally cracked open by terrifying bands of children wielding sticks. What is the first line McHeath utters when he falls to the floor of the Mayfax mansion after being pummeled mercilessly by Annie and her uber-rich, uber-good-looking 11-year-old friends? New York doesn't seem that different from the old York, if you ask me. The future orphan and her stick-wielding 11-year-old friends interrogate the lank, candy-coated stranger who has invaded the luxurious Mayfax mansion. Who are you? What are you doing here? Are you mean, like a hairy ruffian? Could you be an uncle cemeterian? Bad, bad, bad. Bad, bad, bad. And they renew their assault on McKeith with sticks, punctuating the rhythm of each bad in the song with a blow of broom handles right on his piñata. Bad, bad, bad. Bad, bad, bad. No es bueno, McKeith whispers before lapsing into unconsciousness but not before witnessing a group of sinister south-of-the-border banditos kidnapping Annie and the other children and snapping the children's sticks like matches to the rhythm of the Stick 'em Up song done in Mexican mariachi style. Stick them up, stick them up, stick them up, or you die. Get in this sack, get in this sack, get in this sack, or we'll cry. The audience barely has time to recover from the onslaught of trumpets and miniature pom-poms that seem to accurse mariachi players like adolescent acne. The last sack is closed, the last child is caught, the curtain drops. McKeith drags himself toward the audience, barely able to lift the stage curtain. His lower half is hidden in the folds of the thick fabric as he sings to the front row, to the back corners, to the people still waiting at the concession stand for a thimbleful of box wine. He stretches his voice like the pelt of a wildcat strung on a tanner's frame. The audience is his only remaining world. Why? He intones dramatically, and the moment his head drops, the house lights come up. The mariachi kidnappers appear at all the exits and wings. They have new sacks. Empty sacks. Six theatergoers are hauled away in those sacks. You wouldn't have noticed them until the spotlight lit them up a man who looked confused, and then a woman who looked confused, and then several other confused-looking people. At first, the audience members having sacks shoved over their heads are polite to the actors playing the kidnappers, with nervous titters and mild hand gestures indicating thanks but no thanks, even as they're being dragged away by the mariachi kidnappers. The show debuted in Minnesota, after all. The mariachi kidnappers assure the audience members that the sacks over their heads and the application of slight pressure on their necks, applied from the grip of their expertly trained arms, are just part of the show and won't they follow the others into the lobby. These six people who are pulled from the audience are never heard from again, and very little effort has been made to find them. The curtain rises once more. Our little heroine, red-haired Annie Mayfax, is being forced to double-check piles of discarded beer-stained scratch-off lottery tickets and pull tabs from local bars in the houses of ill repute. 
She is enslaved by the State Lottery Commission, who is funding a new state office building and a state rainy day fund with the proceeds. Annie finds a winning ticket some idiot had thrown away. She sings to us, That's the ticket! My lucky ticket! Until you swear she's going to get a nosebleed. She plans to turn in the winning ticket and buy a plane ride, bus ride, or boat ride home to her wealthy family and privileged lifestyle. Just then, as the piercing strains of her contralto has rattled your brain pan sufficiently, McKeith appears at the Lottery Commission's child labor den. Clearly, old McKeith has some nefarious enterprise scooting across his neural receptors, up to no good, that naughty rake. But he gets distracted by Annie's winning lottery ticket. Now, Annie may only be 11, but she's not blind. McKeith is a stone-cold hottie. She instantly falls in love with him, and he instantly promises to betroth the hell out of her. The play doesn't actually address the severe discrepancy in age between McKeith and Annie. With her bouncy-spirited attitude, Annie can fill in a 1040 IRS form as easily as skip a rope. The situation is presented so fluidly in the production, little Annie Mayfax is making choices as a full-grown woman, but she keeps that buoyant optimism that 11-year-olds are known for, and their prolific singing. McHeath sweeps her off to Paris, and then to Athens, Texas and Georgia, respectively. He drives a delivery truck for a guy called the Godfather of Paola. He expresses the value of holding your tongue in song. Or someone will hold it for you. Annie and McKeith have a wonderful romantic time of it for about three blocks when McKeith nearly sideswipes a black limousine carrying none other than the godfather of Paola, whose real god-given name is Daddy Warbucks. Now, Annie may only be 11, but she can do the math. Sure, McKeith may be good-looking now, but what will he look like when she is 12? And 13? He'd be ancient by then, but Daddy Warbucks would still be rich just like her former family, whose address and name she can't recall because the mariachi kidnappers spun her around blindfolded at the pinata party. She urges Daddy Warbucks to execute McKeith and administer the justice owed to him, but Daddy Warbucks refuses. But he dumps little Annie while he pursues maritime maneuvers in the narrow channels of the vivacious Lydia Clairol, wealthy and glamorous daughter of a shipbuilding tycoon. Annie and McKeith kill Lydia and reconstruct her body in a bottle and send her out to sea like a message. They decide to destroy Daddy Warbucks and his empire, and they trick him into attending a pinata party, where Annie spins him around and around until he cannot remember his name or where he lives. Annie assumes legal guardianship of Daddy Warbucks because a court rules him incompetent in song. McKeith moves into the Warbucks mansion, where some very unsavory scenes of debauchery transpire. Annie sings about chairs for no apparent reason. Annie and McKeith hide their illicit arrangement under a thin tissue of human decency while squeezing the Warbucks' fortune dry. They have to spin the old man once every day or else he'll start to remember. Enter Miss Hannigan, Arch Conniver. The dastardly trio hatch a scheme to trick Warbucks into revealing his military weapons contracts so they can sell them to the Germans. They sing a song called Split Three Ways, shake hands as they form a spinning triangle, and then freeze as the lights cut on stage and the house lights come up. The mariachi kidnappers appear in the aisles and at the exits, collecting another six audience members in sacks. The man next to you is taken. He urges you to find his wife and tell her what happened to him. You never suspected that he was part of the show. The end. And that was the Three Penny Orphan, now with more mariachi kidnappers. And 
That's going to do it for this episode of Box Flap. Thank you for joining me again. I really appreciate it. And if you haven't done it already, please go over to johnstanton.com and sign up for my newsletter. I've got that Halloween barn burner newsletter coming out on, well, Halloween. You want to get that in your inbox, trust me. In the meantime, keep on flapping. Welcome to Box Flap with me, Chon Stanton. This is going to be just a quick take. I'm out in this beautiful weather. It's 70 degrees and it's sunny. Ah, oh, perfect. I just want to get the guilt monkey off my back with this in-between episode to let you know I still exist and that we will come out with a full episode with lots of fun stuff uh, very soon. Hi, so quick, quick author update. I'm plugging away on the first book of the Norwegian Pontoon Mafia series, Queen of the Lakes, and I know you're probably getting sick of me saying that, but it's just where I'm at in the writing right now. It is my writing focus. And, uh, you know, they take time, at least for me. It takes me a, a little bit of time to uh, get the story out and, and make sure it all fits together. I am looking forward to having it done in 2021 here. I just uh, hesitate to put a date on it. Uh, I'm trying to just let the story out. I was thinking about creativity. Let's talk about creation. Some people, you know, have an, seem to have an easier time with accessing their creativity. But here's what I wanted to say, that we're all not only in creation, we're also all creators. And I don't mean that to sound like I believe that we're all gods or anything blasphemous. I just mean that we all, with, we all create every day. When we wake up in the morning, we begin creating our realities. As soon as we wake up and put our feet on the floor by the thoughts that we're having, what our plans are for the day. Sometimes other people are, are dictating our plans, but we still choose to react to that. And we can either have a good attitude or a bad attitude. That all informs that act of creation. So I'm not just talking about art here when I talk about creativity. I'm talking about our lives. We're creating our lives every moment. So what you choose to do in the next 10 seconds or how you choose to think about it is an act of creation because you're creating a reality for yourself. Just wanted to throw that out there as a quick thought from today's quick episode of Box Flap. Now, in my supreme act of creativity in this quick episode, I want to share with you a joke that came to me last night. Sometimes I get stupid jokes that come to me out of nowhere and I tell them to Naomi, my wife, but uh, I want to share this one with you. 
What is the most predictable adolescent marsupial in Australia? You heard me right. What is the most predictable adolescent marsupial in Australia? Stay tuned for the punchline. Do you think you have the punchline for the joke? What is the most predictable adolescent marsupial in Australia? It is the routine. And that is going to do it for this quick episode of Box Flap. Stay tuned. In the next couple of weeks, I'll probably have a fully produced show up, but I just needed to say something to you nice people. All right, you guys create a great day and keep on flapping. And that is going to do it for this quick episode of Box Flap. Stay tuned. In the next couple of weeks, I'll probably have a fully produced show up, but I just needed to say something to you nice people. All right, you guys create a great day and keep on flapping. Do you think you have the punchline for the joke? What is the most predictable adolescent marsupial in Australia? It is the routine. Now, in my supreme act of creativity in this quick episode, I want to share with you a joke that came to me last night. Sometimes I get stupid jokes that come to me out of nowhere and I tell them to Naomi, my wife, but uh, I want to share this one with you. What is the most predictable adolescent marsupial in Australia? You heard me right. What is the most predictable adolescent marsupial in Australia? Stay tuned for the punchline. I was thinking about creativity. Let's talk about creation. Some people you know, have an, seem to have an easier time with accessing their creativity. But here's what I wanted to say, that we're all not only in creation, we're also all creators. And I don't mean that to sound like I believe that we're all gods or anything blasphemous. I just mean that we all, with, we all create every day. When we wake up in the morning, we begin creating our realities as soon as we wake up and put our feet on the floor by the thoughts that we're having, what our plans are for the day. Sometimes other people are, are dictating our plans, but we still choose to react to that. And we can either have a good attitude or a bad attitude. That all informs that act of creation. So I'm not just talking about art here when I talk about creativity. I'm talking about our lives. We're creating our lives 
every moment. So what you choose to do in the next 10 seconds or how you choose to think about it is an act of creation because you're creating a reality for yourself. Just wanted to throw that out there as a quick thought from today's quick episode of Box Flap. Hi, so quick, quick author update. I'm plugging away on the first book of the Norwegian Pontoon Mafia series, Queen of the Lakes, and I know you're probably getting sick of me saying that, but it's just where I'm at in the writing right now. It is my writing focus. And, uh, you know, they take time, at least for me. It takes me a a little bit of time to uh, get the story out and, and make sure it all fits together. I am looking forward to having it done in... 2021 here. I just uh, hesitate to put a date on it. Uh, I'm trying to just let the story out. Welcome to Box Flap with me, Sean Stanton. This is going to be just a quick take. I'm out in this beautiful weather. It's 70 degrees and it's sunny, ah, perfect. I just want to get the guilt monkey off my back with this in-between episode to let you know I still exist and that we will come out with a full episode with lots of fun stuff uh, very soon.